the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The attitude of the tower builders is righteousness by works, full of pride that lifts you high. The attitude of those who build an altar God's way, who don't try to climb up to God, who build an altar on level ground. Humility, kneel at that altar. That attitude is the attitude of righteousness by faith. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. And as a reminder, you can always turn into the live worship service held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. You're most welcome to be our guest, either online or in person. Today on Reaching Your Heart, Pastor Michael Oxentenko brings us the first portion of Towers and Altars. That's Towers and Altars. We hope you enjoy it. And thank you for listening today. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we come to you in life with towers we are building. And you're not a tower builder for us. You have one ladder, Jesus, who reaches from earth to heaven. He's the tower. So tear down our towers and build your altars on holy ground. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a young boy, I had a dream of building a treehouse. Anybody ever build a treehouse around here? Oh, come on. You must have some exciting entrepreneurial treehouse builders here. I built a treehouse, and I envisioned, before I did this, how I could reach high into the sky And I could sit or lay down in that treehouse, look up there, and I could think of noble thoughts without the limitations of planet Earth. A treehouse is awesome. Now, we want to build a treehouse in the back here or something like it at Reaching Hearts for the kids. It's not simple, believe it or not, but we're going to do it. Because kids ought to have a place where they can climb, it's safe, and they can look up and they can think of where we're going. We're going to heaven. Now, the ancients pictured the universe as a tree just like I would. I think of the big universe, big tree, universe. The top is heaven that towers high and we live at the bottom of the tree on level ground down here. And all the elements surrounded by the tree was part of the cosmic tree principle in antiquity. Angels are birds. You know in Daniel 4, this cosmic tree that Nebuchadnezzar represents, the birds came and roosted in the tree. That means angels came. Extraterrestrials visited this planet. Watchers stood in the branches of the tree and observed international events in his kingdom. The same is true today. There are birds that have visited here today, angels from other realms that are right here in this room. As a boy, I looked up out of the window of my house every morning, admiring the sky up high. By the way, I went to Google Earth and also some of these real estate companies. They have renovated our old, ugly house. It's now worth about $100,000. I can't believe it. That was a piece of junk. I'm telling you, I grew up in very humble conditions, and somebody has made that thing look pretty. 
As a boy, I looked out the window of my house every morning, admiring the sky up high, and I noticed a tall pine tree that towered high up toward the sky, just beyond my yard in the back part of the street, that little complex. And as I looked at that tall tree, I imagined tall poles, and I looked for that pine tree, and it's gone. We built a tree house in that pine tree. The tree house is gone. The pine tree is gone. Someone cut down the towering tree. Now you can say, aw, that would help. It's very sad. They cut down the tree. But as I looked at that time, at that tall tree, I imagined tall poles fastened to the side of that tree like stilts with a wood deck high on top of them and a tree house on the top of the deck. And I have discovered in life that dreams become reality when you put a little vision, a little effort, a little planning to work, and your dream can come true. Does God fulfill dreams for lazy people? No. Dreams happen when we show our faith by working toward a goal, right? Now, I wasn't a believer back then. In fact, I was not a believer at all. I was an unconverted brat back then. Unfortunately, I lived in Appalachia where money was hard to earn. We had just come from a very poor country house to this little inner city home. But boy, it was like the Bronx where I lived. And I lived in Appalachia where money was hard to earn, where resources were next to nothing, and where community pessimism kept you down all the time if you tried to climb out of the hole of that local poverty situation. And as a young boy, I worked a paper route to buy food since my mom's job at the furniture factory at minimum wage would barely do. As a boy, I fished a lot to make sure I had food on the table. We didn't really eat together. We just kind of ate. And I cooked the fish and the like. Anybody here ever had to fish for a living? I went fishing to survive. My brother Tim in Florida communicated with me this week. And he said, I hate fishing. I said, Tim, let's go fishing together. He says, I hate it because I used to have to fish for a living, and now I don't want to have anything to do with it. Now, some of you all went fishing with us in the youth fishing trip, and I noticed that we had some people show up who weren't youth, but they looked youthful as they caught the fish with the kids. In short, the money was not there to build a treehouse. As I dwelled upon my dream, day after day, in time I solicited the help of my best friend Jeff to get the job done, to build a tower of our own making, to make it happen, to put that treehouse up. Now Jeff had some problems. He was on the low end of the ethical scale, and hanging around him put me at the bottom end of the moral scale, frankly. And as we thought about how to get it done, the Ten Commandments never mattered to us at all. Let's do it any way we can. Scheming and devising, Jeff conjured a sinister scheme to visit the local rough-cut lumber yard at the bottom of the hill at night and to steal and move some of that fine rough-cut lumber up the hill to the tall pine tree, one board at a time. He even had a mask and a cape so he looked like Batman and Robin. It was awful. We would go and we took that stuff and we went right up the hill and we stole all that lumber. By the way, I was baptized after this. I'm not glorifying this. I'm just telling you what happened. After Jeff figured out how to steal the lumber, I drew up a makeshift architectural building plan, a drawing of our future treehouse yet to be realized. I had no idea being involved in building churches later in life. This was not a church. And we determined that we need a number of small poles and many board feet of lumber and some nails and waterproofing material also. And we noticed in the house that was being built nearby, there was a box of nails, there was paint. We found the boards. Everything was coming together. We just stole it, that's all. So he also spotted some cans of waterproofing paint and so on. So as we got all that together, we collected it, brought it up there, 
As Frank Sinatra said in his famous song, I did it my way. Well, we did it our way, not God's way. It took many nights and much breaking of God's law, a law we didn't care about at that time to get it done. I remember when the Holy Spirit was moving on me at the age of 15 to leave that hometown. And there was a conversion in process as God was working on my hard heart. I appealed to Jeff to leave and go with me to Fletcher Academy and start over with Jesus. And he would have none of Jesus. And I've had no real interaction with him since. I hope you pray for Jeff. But that's how we build our tower. We build our treehouse our way. I remember when we finally finished the treehouse. It seemed too good to be true. It was tall. It was strong. It towered high in the sky. We carpeted it with carpet that we got somewhere from someone. Now, when you build a tower at someone else's expense, the whole idea loses its beautiful grandeur, doesn't it? In time, I felt bad because of how we did it. I felt bad that we did it our way and not God's way. I felt like tearing down the treehouse and starting all over again. Friend, there are times in life we build our own towers and we make them high to glorify ourselves, to make ourselves look good. And God is not in the business of making us look good. God is in the business of giving glory to his character, which is humble for the saving of men and women. We build towers to impress others. Much of what passes as church activity can be narcissistic unless the focus is evangelistic for the saving of men and women to the glory of God. We build towers to feel good about ourselves. You know, Jesus said of the Pharisees, you traverse land and sea to make a single convert. But you're the ones that need to be converted, he implies. Friend, God cares about us. He'll tear a tower down so we can build an altar to him in life. And in our pride, we build towers to show God maybe that we can get to heaven on our own, in our own way, without his law, without his gospel clearly defined in the New Testament, without a relationship with him, without his grace and his mercy manifested at the cross on our behalf. Somehow we think that the church is better than the Savior in our proclamation of truth. Friend, God raised up this movement to appoint men and women to Jesus Christ at the time of the end with prophetic clarity. Not for our sake, but for his sake and for the lost's sake. In the Desire of Ages, page 35, this profound statement is made that describes the tower builder kind of religion that would climb up to God instead of kneeling down to God at an altar seeking grace from God on level ground. The Jews had created a system of righteousness by works. They had access to the book of Daniel, the prophecies of Isaiah, and they did not utilize them correctly. The author writes, Desire of Ages, page 35, the principle that man can save himself by his own works lay at the foundation of every heathen religion. It had now become the principle of the Jewish religion. Satan had implanted this principle. Wherever it is held, men have no barrier against sin. Herman Melville wrote in Marty in a voyage thither that Great towers take time to construct. You don't get to where the Jewish people were overnight. It takes time to compromise, to lose your way, to let the scriptures slip away, to reject the spirit of prophecy's practical impact in our lives, to finally you find yourself morphing to something you never thought, building a tower of your own righteousness instead of surrendering to the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Friend, we can spend a lifetime building a tower But they are only sandcastles in time that come down when life ends. The wind erodes the pyramids. 
The rivers flow through the greatest of cities in time to make a canyon deep. Time itself wears away at dreams and tears as tears in time wear down every tower we build for our joy. So tower builders fail in the end. In our weak pursuit of towers, life is full of problems, and entropy has a way of undoing our best efforts. Dylan Burroughs once wrote, Our problems may tower over us, but God towers over our problems. Now that is true, and that is comforting, and that is wise. But let me share something with you. But maybe God is the ultimate tower in our life who tears down our towers so we can come to heaven in the right way. You see, we build our own platforms, our own stuff, our own goodness. And God tears that down so that as we are lowered in the dust, righteousness by faith can be realized in the heart and we can be elevated by humility and brokenness to realize that Jesus is Jacob's ladder. That our right to heaven is a righteousness, a right now righteousness, not based on our works of law, but on the goodness of a Savior who died on that cross in our behalf. And out of the riches of that brokenness, we find completeness and wholeness and healing. And we are set right with God, justified. Friend, if you have to choose between a tower and an altar, build the altar with God every time. Forsake tower building. Take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis 11, verse 1. We'll be focusing in the Tower of Babel story for the most part this morning. The Bible says in verse 1, Now the earth had one language and few words. And as men migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So much is captured in this antediluvian post-world catechism statement. The whole world was all there was. Those who survived, those who grew from Noah's line, and they settled in a place called Shinar in a plain, unified with language and few words. So much is said here. First, a single language unified the world. We can deduce that from this. The Bible said the first language had few words. The Hebrew can also mean the same words. Humanity was able to communicate with itself because the language was plain, shared, and simple. When you get too highfalutin and too complicated, people don't understand you. I've met people who try to express themselves and they'll say, well, let us understand the existential nature of the deep philosophical impact of the transcendental feelings that contribute to the intrinsic notions of ontology. Now, how many of you understand a word of what I just said? They didn't communicate that way back then. They used a few words, simple, that everyone understood and people were together. This is why theologians in general mess it up because they make that which should be plain complicated. They make that which should be understood difficult. And that's why Plato envisioned them really in his book, The Republic, as philosopher kings. We don't need philosopher kings. We need preachers of righteousness who are clear. And the truth is deep, but it's clear. So humanity was able to communicate with itself. It is true that the formation of a social contract envisioned by Rousseau in his book, The Social Contract, takes a man from his noble, savage state in a society of sorts where life gets complicated once he enters into society, a social contract where words multiply, literature develops, relationships become defined, laws emerge. That's complicated. In the Genesis narrative, the Garden of Eden is to be found moving west from the east. East to west is the direction of the new Eden. Eden was planted from the east, but the new Eden is found in the west, in the narrative of Genesis 
Abraham's sojourning brings him to the promised land in the west where the new Eden will be found in the future at the end of the millennium. The book of Hebrews says he was looking for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was moving forward to the future, to the place that would be the future. The word Shinar in the verses that we just looked at, verse 2, is associated with a few Hebrew words that are rich in meaning. Let me just walk you through them. I don't expect you to remember everything I'm saying, but bear with me. Will you bear with me? You know, I like doing this because I study for these things. I don't want to preach to you a bunch of nonsense. I really study. So let me not overdo it, but let me try to be clear. Sha'ar is one of the root words that's associated with Shinar. It expresses intense emotion and even violence. Na'ar means to shake or scatter, to growl. You know, let me practice the growl part. We will continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. So please stay tuned. If you would like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that at the close of our broadcast today. You can also attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend a live service in streaming format on that website. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. You ever do that? Sure you have. You get mad at someone. I've seen people growl at me. I had a dog named Avalanche that would growl at me. He bit me one day. I had to teach him not to do that. Finally, I had to put him down. To shake, to scatter, to growl. To be young. It can also mean to be young. Isn't it true that kids scrap a lot? They sometimes fight. Come on. How many of you ever got into a conflict as a kid? Oh, you insulted my mama. No, I didn't. Smack, whack, you know, I did that. To scatter, to shake, to growl, to be young. Another verb, shanan, which means to be sharp or pointed. The Hebrew word for tooth comes from that. You bite something, you pierce something. The name shinar also contains in it the seed for ear, the Hebrew word for a city. You put it all together and the name shinar suggests a place full of youthful wit as a potential city with the potential for violence also, with struggle and conflict, scattering, disagreement, and all of this when the world was young. So when they formed that first city, it was not easy. I tell you, it's not easy today, the fight in the Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine. It looks like Ukraine's falling. Whatever the news is saying, Ukraine is not doing well in this war. Russia's advancing, it's getting that eastern region. And who knows what the shape of Europe will be. War is awful. Shinar was the first picture of conflict in the Bible. The Bible says they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. The Hebrew word for there is sham. Why don't you say that with me? Sham. It sounds like a shaman. Sham. There. Sham. It is closely related to the Hebrew word shem. Probably shame in Hebrew. Shem for name. Sham there. Shem. Name. Now what person's named Shem in the Bible? It's easy to answer that one. Shem. Now you know what is the meaning of Shem's name. It means name. Shem was named the name. Shem is the name. His name means name. For the ancients, a name was something solid and firm because it is there like a rock. A name or a word is a thing. It's not just an idea. When you name something in the Bible, you define its existence. That's why Adam named all the animals. 
It's kind of like a quantum measurement in physics that forces an electron or a subatomic particle, which isn't a particle yet, out of the cloud wave function, they call it, which is a state of possibilities. It forces it into the realm, a solid realm, of being a particle, of having a position, just by measuring it. So when you name something, you measure it, you define it, you create its reality by naming. That's a biblical idea. In the Bible, the name of a person represents the character of that person. How many of you like your names? Raise your hand if you do. I love my name. How many of you like another name? A few hands went up. Well, do you realize that God's going to change all of our names based on our character? When a person's character changes, they often receive a new name. That was true of Jacob, who was named after a heel suggesting deceit, trickery, and dominance. What was his name changed to? You know, changed to Israel. He was renamed Israel because he prevailed with God and man, and thus his name defined his character of the new man. The Bible suggests that we receive new names as we overcome in life and develop a Christ-like character. Christ knows our new name. The world that is to come, friend, now hear me, it's not for losers, it's not for losers. Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will grant with him to sit with me in my throne. God has not called us to be losers as Christians. The world that is to come is for overcomers who will overcome in Jesus' name and receive a new name. Shem was named the name by Noah because he was to carry on the knowledge of the divine name Yahweh God, the name. In the Bible, God's name Yahweh and the Ten Commandments, Law of Love, revealed at Mount Sinai is the same thing, really. Now, why is this important? Twelve times God is known as Yahweh, Lord God, Jehovah God, Yahweh Elohim, until the serpent speaks to Eve. And when the serpent speaks, he leaves one of those two out. Which one do you think it is, Lord or God? He leaves out Lord. The word Yahweh, he says, has God said, which means he denies the covenant name of God to Eve. He will not put it on his lips. He does not allow himself to use that holy name that is God's character implied. The personal part of God, he does not affirm. He affirms God as a powerful being only. Because God's name, Yahweh, is who God is. Because in the Bible, God's name in the Ten Commandment Law of Love revealed at Mount Sinai. Scripture reveals it's the same thing. Yahweh, I am who I am. That is my name, he tells Moses. The Ten Commandments, I am Yahweh Elohim, the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Instead of saying, I am who I am in the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord who did this. And here is the law that is a description of what the I am means. So the law is a revelation of the name of God. That's why in Psalms 119.55, it says when we meditate upon God's name in the night, we keep his law because the two are the same. So the name of the beast at the end of time is the law of the beast, the character of the beast. God's law went on the forehead. God's name goes on the forehead in Revelation 14.1. The mark of the beast goes on the forehead and the hand where God's law, God's name should go. Why is it on the forehead? Because that's where character is contained. That's where the highest order of thinking occurs. God's law, God's name will be in us at the time of the end. We will own the high value system of who God is as Yahweh. So because God's name is Yahweh is who God is, It is the description of the I am who I am Yahweh God. 
So you do away the Ten Commandments of God, you're breaking the commandment that says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You're violating the covenant by removing his name. And so that's what the serpent did. He just deleted the name. And then Eve said, has God said? She does too. And when she buys into that deletion, she loses the knowledge of the covenant personal God that she had known 12 times stated before the serpent shows up. When sin has run its course, the Bible says there'll be no night in Revelation 22. For the Lord God's name will be on our foreheads. And the Lord God, the name is restored at the time of the end. Jesus came to restore the name. In John 17, he says, the name that you have given me before the world was made, the glory, the character of God, I have revealed it to them. I have revealed to them the words you gave me, just like Moses was given the ten words of the Ten Commandments. I have revealed your character, your law, in my life, my ministry is the gospel, the name. There is no true revival. Let me make a statement here. There's no true revival ever in the history of the world unless there is a heartfelt surrender to the personal claims of the divine law of God revealed at Sinai and demonstrated in love and bleeding at the cross of Calvary. So when the first revival came around, men began to call on the name of the Lord, and that was a good thing for us all, because the serpent had deleted the language. It had been lost in the experience of Eve. It comes back. It was 2,300 years before the year 457 B.C., right around there, when we find the line of Enosh, the son of Seth. So it was 2,300 years before the autumn of 457 B.C. Now, what is 457 B.C. famous for in the Bible? The 2,300-year type prophecy. We always go forward. From 457 B.C., 2,300 years brings us to 1844, no year zero. Well, that will conclude the first portion of Towers and Altars. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Join us again next time when we conclude this broadcast. We would really love it if you would join us for our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., either online or in person. If you would like to join us in person, the address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you are certainly welcome to join us online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.